Hello and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. I'm an indie producer in Montreal working at Studio Cut to Bits. And today, our guest is Chase Bethia. Please introduce yourself. Thank you, Masao, for the introduction. As you have said, my name is Chase Bethia, and I am a professional video game composer. I specialize in adaptive music that align to player mechanics. And I study a lot of game design through the myriad of retro games that I collect and apply that to my type of work. But I've been working professionally in the industry for 10 years and shipped over 20 games in that time. 20 games, that's quite a few. Yes, as I hit the 10-year mark, I realized that, wow, it was 20 games. And as I, when I started in the industry, I was just thinking of, you know, build the portfolio. And I think it's a good milestone. Uh, you're one of the few that have mentioned, you know, it as something of that caught your fancy so it's good to know that it is admired for at least like the work you know the put in because we we know as game developers like games are extremely hard to get out to there and ship and whatnot <laughs> yeah as a direct contributor 20 games i think that's something to be proud of thank you that means it means a lot to me so appreciate that this podcast is called what else do you do so what else do you do well, I also like to restore old consoles and video games. So what that entails is me maybe buying some consoles that don't have that are just they're they're not working, right? And mm-hmm. or they they just didn't get a lot of love. They look a little little dusty or beat up or have some of that yellowing or whatnot or some games that are just the cases, you know, just are just forgotten about or whatnot. So <laughs> sitting sitting in somebody's garage or attic for a little too long. Yeah, without the proper shelving or casing or protection, you know, I buy them, I and I, I fix them, and I, I give them a new life and sometimes a new home. That's very cool. What got you into that? Well, I was working at a hi-fi audio company part time, and I was building hi-fi audio units. And so as I was learning about circuitry and electricity and all these other things, electronics, I've always had a passion for fixing things, but I never could, even when I remember trying to fix my first camera that had film and I couldn't do it. So I've always wanted to fix physical electronics. So I learned some of the techniques at this company. And one year I went to, I think it was looking at my wall here, SoCal Retro Game Con. And they had, there was, there's a bunch of vendors. You could buy a bunch of retro games, meet, go to panels, et cetera, et cetera. But the vendors sell broken consoles as well. So I saw Sega Genesis for a dollar and I get getting the same Sega Game Gear for the same. And they would just tell me, oh, it, it's missing. It's, it doesn't turn on. We don't know what's going on. So we're just we're basically selling it for parts, junks, whatever. I was like, okay. So I bought it. And using my knowledge that I had of at least soldering and not fig- not knowing anything about <laughs> schematics that much of how things flow, just figuring things out on my own, I was able to fix it. And I made a $14 profit. So I was very happy 
and it cleaned it off and it did all that. And it, it gave me a lot of joy and I found it to be very cathartic. Uh, and the same thing, I went to a thrift store, I saw PS2 first gen and it was, it just, it just looked dirty and old. And I remember the woman, I was like, how much do you want for this? And she said, oh, well, I'm not sure if it works. You could take it home. And I was like, I could take it home. This is how, you know, definitely one of those mom and pop thrift stores that are very trustworthy. So I took it home and I just polished it up, dusted it off and it looked brand new. And I brought it back and said, hey, like it works. It's all good. And she was like, you know what? Do you want it? And I was like, all right, sure. Yeah. And I got a free PS2 <laughs> just from cleaning it up. But it, there's something about, there's something mentally potent and there's a, the deeper word that I'm looking for. It's It's very tranquil for me to get into that space and realize that maybe I can restore something that has lost, a, that doesn't look as great as it used to. And I think a deeper part of it is because I come from, I'm a, I'm a big retro person. Like I love retro games. I, that's my, I grew up with them. So there, there's still, there's a bit of nostalgia there, but I, I, I want to remember them in the glory that they are. And I, as I work in the industry, I see a lot of things kind of being forgotten. And I, I believe in preservation in, in that respect too. That's really cool. Yeah, like I have gotten rid of a lot of my consoles at this point. I'm trying to think if I have anything. And uh, there's definitely moments where I'm like, man, I really wish that I still had that, you know. And also, it's getting progressively more difficult to kind of maintain these, you know, like maintain these games. I was reading the other day that uh, more and more like, cartridges from the nes and the snes eras are dying because the the batteries inside die because hmm. yeah. they were never meant to you know last 20 years yeah and those batteries i mean as we think about conscious environment tactics those aren't very healthy to continue to produce so with a couple of things i dive into that and get into talking about the you know the retro game market currently so that goes up. A lot of people are buying games, which means they're not very common to find and utilize. And then those batteries are typically not as popular as they used to be. So they're going to be harder to, you know, keep up and to source. Yeah. Yeah. Source. Exactly. And there's just a whole bunch of factors that come into play now. So like, if you have it, you really, it's, I mean, if you can play it, that's phenomenal. And if it runs and it doesn't, you know, short on you, that's, that's even better, but it's becoming extremely more niche, a little bit more business, which is great for those who are in the business of that. But at the same time, probably not the best for the environment either (laughs) (laughs) to continue to preserve. And it's, it's hard. And especially with like, it's, you know, some, some games are quite complicated in terms of legally as well. Right. So they're, they're not going to get like re reissued. Yeah, there was a lot of licensing things that was done back in the day. And as they were figuring things out, only what in their 10 or 20 years that mm-hmm. they barely had just broken into the those a lot of those companies don't exist. And one small yeah. example is like System Shock, finding out that System Shock wouldn't be playable on the PC today if someone didn't create a company that sought down the IP that was with a life insurance company 
like system shock was with a life insurance company i think or something of that nature like a car insurance or yeah life insurance sometimes ips get really weird when companies go under because like you know it it just go into like sometimes it'll just go into debt collection and then right. like whoever owns that debt gets to keep a bunch of stuff but yeah you know unless it was like a big ip then people aren't necessarily gonna like you know game companies aren't coming in there and like lining up to buy them yeah and then you also have the issue of like who has the master files and you know especially for companies like that yeah it's it's pretty wild start to dive deeper into the etymology of and trajectory of where things end up. So how do you feel about abandonware? You know, like games that essentially cannot be played legally now, like should it be pirated or what should people do if like your option is either like hunt down an extremely rare hardware that's quite possibly very expensive and hard to run or like get a pc emulator on a game that's essentially unavailable for all intents and purposes so i it's um give me a second i don't think that people should spend the money on what on something that expensive so i'm leaning (laughs) towards i mean come on it's what was it something sold for like I don't know. Some Mario game sold for some sealed for a stupid yeah, amount but that's of money. that's that's collectors. That's like that's you know like there's plenty of like you know not great condition Mario cassettes that you could <laughs> you could you could get and play if that's uh, that's your that's your bag. I understand that, but that's but this is this is the that's the thing about it, right? That's where it starts. So if it starts there, it's saying, "Hey, this is okay for anything underneath to be exactly valued the same, if not more, because it's more rare, right? Yeah. Because it's more rare. If that top, t- if the most ex- you know collectible and unsealed thing of Mario that's very attainable is saying it's okay. They're going to try and get away with it with the very most ultra rare thing to be even worse. So that leads me to say, well, most people are going to have to probably pirate. However, I do have a solution. I'm probably going to go out on the limb with this here. If my idea is taken, I don't have the capital to make it, but I came up with something. And the idea was to have collectors be able, I want to create a blockbuster in an app form, but through the collectors. And I want to create where an app where collectors can rent out their games or sell them if they want to. So a lot of GameStop is they're I mean, especially since the pandemic, they're very far and few between now. And if you're in a municipal where your your closest store to even buy or rent a game is 20 30 miles away and you want to play it like you might feel a little bit guilty trying to pirate something and you could be in obviously in a lot of legal trouble too and we don't want to you know advocate any type of piracy or at all mm-hmm. but if the collect say you had someone that was right across the street from you and you'd never talked to them before but on this app that functions as if you were picking up a Uber or Lyft says, hey, you know, this collector here, this is their collection. It shows there they have their whole thing on there. They stem out what they want to send out. Like, they're not going to let you rent out world championships or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, the things that they want. And they say, oh, I was looking for, you know, that type of game. And I would love to rent that. And then 
right? And then you end up making a friend and then you get to play that game in its most legal format and within its most authentic format. And there's just so many other benefits and there's like would be an insurance type of thing set up for the parties just in case anything damaging or whatnot happens. And I've been pretty much vacillating on this idea for a couple years and it's been building and building and they've talked to a couple more people. It, it doesn't exist. And the only thing I was thinking about was licensing, but if other stores like eBay and other and Macari and whatever can kind of do it, even a retro store I I live close by was renting out stuff. I don't I don't see the problem, uh, especially since I had talked to a lawyer about it recently. But I think that could probably solve it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where that stands legally because I know that like I don't know that because I with movies they had to buy like certain types of copies right to be able to Blockbuster had like special license type movies that were more expensive than like a retail copy. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that sounds really cool. I actually have like a, do you know, do you know this game? It's called garage. It's like, I think the, one of the most expensive PC games out there. No, I actually don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's my only like collectible thing. And the only reason I have it was because uh, I had a Mac in high school and there weren't a lot of games on Mac back in the day. And uh, when I went back to Japan, I was looking for games. They had even less games for Macs (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, like the Japanese PC market was already small and on top (laughs) of it, like the, um, and there was like five games, four of them were like, uh, X-rated. So I was like, okay. well, I guess I'll pick it up. And um, it was released by EMI Japan. You know, the EMI, like the record label. Okay. Because yes. they had like a video game division in Japan for like six months, like literally six months. <laughs> wow. So this game came out and then like became immediately unavailable. <laughs> wow. That sounds it's like also a very strange game. Um. And uh, I've always loved it. I didn't think that, like, I kept it because, like, it's a super weird game. Um, and uh, it's, a, like, a point-and-click, like, post-apocalyptic point-and-click adventure that's, like... And and then uh, recently I was like, oh, I don't know what, you know, what the, you know, if there's anybody else, like, thinking about this game. And it turns out, like, because it's so rare, it's actually quite expensive to get. Even though at the time when it came out, nobody cared yeah nobody cared but yeah but actually he's uh he's doing a a mobile port right now so people are gonna actually be able to play it (laughs) okay that's pretty cool pretty cool yeah and that might drive the price down not probably by a lot but it will drive it down a little bit because now people have the access ability to play it play it yeah so yeah um, I'm glad that people are going to be able to play this very strange game. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to put put that on my my watch list to play on mobile. It's, it's ironically, it's funny you said that garage. I was supposed to work on a game that was, and I was like, no, that's not the game. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no, I don't. I, I don't mean, know unless you were you're, somebody talked to you about making a video game in like I don't know 1999 in Japan. Oh, I would have been, I would have been honored <laughs> back then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. and this studio only made one game as well. Like it's like, like the company is still around, but I think they're like a web SEO company now. Like, 
pivots pivots are, yeah. are really well yeah yeah it's just like yeah. we we're saying earlier like ips and things just com- companies even just go different directions so yeah it's uh yeah and then like i guess another game that i i wish i could play on that topic is um jet set radio future okay i've been told that the that that game is definitely not going to get a reissue because of uh, uh, song rights are going to be entirely too expensive and nobody, <laughs> no Sega is certainly not going to pay for it. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, I th- I'm not sure if I have Jet Set Radio Future. Let me check my. Uh, can I- so Jet Set Radio was also released as Jet Grind Radio. Okay. Um, and that is available on Steam. But the okay. sequel, Future, which was uh, uh, released on, on the Xbox, the OG Xbox is not is not available. Is not available. I'm trying and to pull up my Discord. stuff like Chibomato and like the like like the soundtrack was quite eclectic. Yeah, everybody loves that soundtrack. So that's if that's the one on Xbox, then definitely I don't have that. I have the one on Dreamcast. Dreamcast, but I don't, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'll have to look. I was trying to pull up my digital collection to see, but I but you said if it's on the OG Xbox, then no, I don't have that one. I think <laughs> it's it's easy to get because I think at one point it was like a like a Xbox, like it came with the Xbox, you could buy like there was like a yeah, it was bundled, yeah, it was bundled. That's what I'm thinking of in my head. I'm like, I think I have it because it's bundled with a different game, yeah, yeah, it was like a two game like disc, yeah, or two game like box like it had two discs in it yeah yeah and it was bundled with the with the xbox okay yeah that's how i had it like i didn't i didn't buy it i was like what's this game and i played it i'm like this is amazing (laughs) yeah it's that and the other licensing thing i remember was issue was alan wake with uh, alan wake really yeah alan wake was another licensing issue where they weren't going to redo issue that one so Hmm. i remember a few years ago that price went up to if you had it, I just don't think it's still as expensive. But Alan Wake was another one where they were like, Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. "I don't imagine Brutal Legends ever going to happen either." Well, Brutal yeah, Legend had so much licensed music. Yeah, that'd be double fine. <laughs> They're not going to want to do that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. We're barely getting through Soccer Knots too, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like GTA where like it sells so many that they're like, yeah, whatever. Like we can afford to like relicense everything that was in like Vice City. Exactly. Exactly. And so in those respects, it's those preservations are very. And that's why I said like that app idea, I think, is is what the industry needs. And you're not going to get that through Gamefly. Gamefly is only going to do the latest things for the licenses they, they want to you know make money off of but if the collectors mm-hmm. like you said were sitting in so the garage Gamefly doesn't have a retro section i mean it does but let's talk about it you're not going to get snatcher or garage or <laughs> you know what I mean? you're not going to get those games from gamefly yeah i mean i'm not sure if anybody would like the the I don't, I don't know how true it is but i saw a youtube video like a youtuber saying that it cost them a thousand dollars to get a copy of garage okay so i'm not sure if <laughs> anybody would be putting that on the app but that's and it, that's true and that's fair so but if they have two copies just to say they yeah, had two true. copies or they set a higher price for renting right and they have like i said that insurance liability is yeah. there 
uh, and they can make their money back. They paid a thousand dollars. They rented out a couple times. Yeah, that's true. So there's there's perks. There's perks. Yeah, you could definitely like set it up so it's going to be a pricey rental. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, there's a lot of people that want to play it, right? Yeah. <laughs> the demand. <laughs> the demand is there. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about uh, how this intersects with your career as a game dev. Like, what do you get out of restoring old games and old consoles that you don't from your uh, from your job as a game developer? So for me, like I mentioned before, it's just a mental separation, uh, slightly meditative. Very, they uh, I remember when I stream, when I would stream on on Twitch, you know, retro. Or I call the sh- I have this show called Vintage Affinity, and would do it like every Saturday. Not every Saturday. I used to do it every Saturday. But what people think of it is, it's like a game, a SMR. I think I said that right, and. With the game development work, we're we're thinking about solving problems in the moment for what we need to do. I just separate it and go back to the, it keeps the connectivity of the passion and the love that I have for the industry. When I look at someone else's work, you know, that I'm seeing, like someone designed this console, someone thought of these things. This is the chipset. This is the YM2612 that makes all those fantastic soundtracks that we that people are thinking of you know in their late 20s mid 30s really love upper 40s the spc 700 all the things that go into it the box art for you know certain game the cartridges the 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 three screws the five screw like all the these things and history that's there reinvigorates my love to when i come back to my work i remember yeah this is why i did it because i this is what what it was about when I didn't know I could do it for a living. And it just, there's, it seems like it wouldn't be a separation, but there is. Because when I'm in the moment of just, hey, well, you got a couple GameStop stickers on here, and we're going to figure out ways to, you know, just use very tactical techniques to keep the the casing the same without like trying to rip the plastic or dig into it or whatnot, resurfacing the disc or cleaning the cartridge properly with the the world's first game solution, game juice. Uh, that actually one of my friends had designed. I'm very blessed to know <laughs> that he did that. Uh, small plug there, but it works. It, it's it's phenomenal. And just making sure that every how I used to see it as a child and hold it up to its its glory is still intact with what it looks like today. So if it's received by someone else or someone else sees it, they have that same nostalgic feeling when they touch it. It's like a it's almost like a portal in time that they can say, "Yeah, I remember the joy this brings me." Because when let's be real, we're working in the industry, we learn a lot of the the dark side of things and the upside of things. And when we're working, we're working. And some of the passion is there, but some of the passion gets lost. So for me, doing this holds that passion true, keeps that passion as glue, and I build more friends uh, that that are some of them that don't work in the industry, some of them that do, and they're along for the ride with me, and they feel that joy, and it's reciprocated, even with them sometimes even saying like, "Hey, I got some games. I'm not gonna." 
you know, play these anymore, but I know that you love them and you use them and I love them. We'll go to a good home. And then like, I have them. And if I can, you know, push that value and that, and that joy forward, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I had this for a time and this was my memory with this, but I want to pass this now on to someone else who I think will enjoy it. And it's just keeping that momentum going over and over. That's really great. And like, I can definitely relate to that. Like there is, you know, there's the, you know, there's the expression, like if you, uh, if you decide to do what you love, you won't work a day in your life, which I think is like the the biggest lie on the face of the earth. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the opposite. Actually, if you if you want to hate whatever you do, or well, like you want to, if you want to hate whatever you love, like make it your job. <laughs> I think it's closer to reality, and uh, I think yeah, like I definitely, I have a difficult time playing a video game like as a player you know yeah. like not to look at a game and be like how did they make this is this good did they make good decisions yeah you know where did they like where did they mess up <laughs> what what are things that they did really well that would have never occurred to me and i'm thinking about that rather than like just enjoying a game like there's certain games that i can't play because like it's too upsetting Mm. as a as a developer <laughs> do you have well maybe you don't want to mention the game but i was going to ask for an example I, I, actually i can i can say it. it's uh red dead 2 i can't okay. i can't play it uh i feel like the user experience is too bad um i like if they have play uh if they do play testing they certainly are not listening to their <laughs> play testers <laughs> I haven't um, played either, so I there's okay. no judgment here. And even if I did, there was and be the no thing judgment. is, I think what I find to be most infuriating is that like there's so much about that game that's really like really difficult that they really pull off. Like there's so many things about that game that's so expensive, <laughs> like, you know. And yeah. it's a beautiful game, and they do all these things, and then they just like just controller layout stuff, like. You know, like the fact that shooting and talking to somebody is very similar, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and constantly you're, you know, like, or like, um, you're constantly putting into this, like, kind of like unique gameplay moments where they change your controls with like no real explanation or needs. Mm-hmm. Player state is also very confusing because, like, you're in a mission and then suddenly, like, certain types of logic no longer applies. Um, You're constricted to space. So like, you know, like there's all these like, like the game also has a bunch of like, um, like, you know, it's an open world game. So there's all these things that you could do on the side. Like, and one of the things you can do is hunting. So you could see like a really rare animal and you're like, Oh, I really need to hunt that because it's going to give me like a rare drop. But if you're in a mission, like uh you have to be in a certain area and like god forbid like okay you got that animal it was really hard you know uh but you did it and now you like you're gonna walk over there to get that loot and then the game is like oh the game is like oh you failed this mission i'm gonna teleport you to the starting point of this mission so So now you just lost that loot, <laughs> even though oh. that's, that was like a super rare animal, like stuff like that. Like there's all these like, like UX no. stuff. That's like, why would you do that? 
<laughs> that's that that's other not games fair. have already figured out, you know, like, and it's, you know, it, if it was something that if, if these were unique problems to Red Dead 2, I think I would be more like understanding, but I'm like, games have been doing this for 10 years. Like there, there are tons of things you could have done to like, I don't know how we got into like trash talking Rockstar, but because <laughs> I asked you, <laughs> but yeah, <It's- laughs> like that's the thing. Like I, you know, like I can't play that game. I, I definitely understand the value of like having, and for me, like basically what allows me to get out of that is because most of my experience have been AAA and open world games. And so like when I play games that are completely like, not like the games I've ever worked on, so like twin stick shooters or like some of the more indie games like platformers 2d platformers stuff like that like i can still play them and enjoy them because i don't think about them as like work (laughs) yeah that's true and most of the time they they're not making those mistakes most of the time depends on the that's that's the other thing too they're very good (laughs) yeah so they're enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) it's so yeah it's and even i mean we could talk about as that's a good intersection, I at least think to say, look at some of the look at some of those indie teams that are creating for the old consoles. Like I would love to have a game on Dreamcast. I'd love to like have a physical copy of a Dreamcast or a Game Boy game that I worked on that you know is from that time period that works on the hardware that I grew up that with. That is pretty that cool. Be- big dream and i love that independent developers of this era are still working on sega genesis games working on dreamcast games game boy games and all that stuff it is it's just tremendously cool yeah that is super cool like as a producer like i like you know just like thinking about it makes my stomach because <laughs> like i'm like just the financial feasibility of something like that is just so bad but like the fact that people are out there doing that is really awesome i really i really do think that that's really cool that there are people out there doing that yeah it's it's really it's really great and then those are definitely going to be you know as they don't have those hundred what million prints or something that oh yeah yeah, yeah. it's going to be so they're going to be more you know collectible and for sure after especially if they're, you know, like Zeno Crisis, I think is one of those, you know, be good. And the thing I like about it too, as I was mentioning was it gives the best challenge of understanding the hardware of its time so that you know what limitations were and why those games became as great as they did because of that's all they had to work with versus now it seems, I mean, yes, hardware of our age, you know, our Xbox Series X and our PS5s and so on and so forth, they have their own limitations, but let's be real. They're not, you know, yeah, they're not. Channels, <laughs> no, you know, like pixel. when you compare it to 8 bit, like, yeah, like yeah. the the graphics, it's not, of it's not the same thing, yeah, right. The animation sure. of and science, right, that works on a CRT and why it works yeah. on that specifically and why it looks the best it does. It doesn't matter how many upscaling modules you have, <laughs> it doesn't matter any of that stuff. That art is specifically Blood, Sweat, and Tears designed and yeah. crafted for that hardware. 
Yeah, when you hear about things like when they realize they could have black for free on the eight, eight, <laughs> working on an eight bit game because they're like, oh shit, we could just not do it. Like the, if we have a pixel that's not there, it would be yeah. black. And they're like, yeah. yes, we can now have four colors <laughs> yep. on a and single can, character. We can utilize it, and we can we can make the background be and this effect so it looks yeah. like it's it's hot. And I mean, this is masterful thinking yeah. right now. Oh yeah, no, it's I I love reading about uh, game production back in the days. Yeah, because it does kind of feel like this, like you know, mad scientist approach. Yeah, that I think it, is definitely no longer the way that we make video games. <laughs> Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. And so do diving into that world for me, it's it goes beyond just, you know, the restoration, but I get a part of I get some history behind it and mm-hmm. things that I, you know, I didn't learn about, things that I because it's on the surface is like, okay, well, yes, I'm fixing and restoring this, but I'm I'm understanding why am I fixing and restoring this? Oh, it's because like you said, like batteries, you know, for this time were at manufactured at this source. And these manufacturers were actually outsourcing from these parts. And this is why I end up sounding at this Hertz for when you play it in this region. I mean, the stuff just gets really, really exciting, at least, at least personally for me, or when you open up a, uh, like a PS2 or a PlayStation case, and you're seeing the the old mail-in postage things or the the notes in the back, oh, and then yeah, how yeah. credits were, you know, designed and and artfully crafted for you know books, inserts, you know, right? Because we always we're always talking about now, like, like there's no inserts, you know, just barely, actually there is none. There is not even an insert anymore. There used to be no manuals. Mm-hmm. Now there's just no inserts at all. They're just like, nah, you just get you just get. Usually there's like a single piece of paper that has like barely you can sign up to like the the DLC of when it comes out in like 20 years. (laughs) Mailing list. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they got that when they scanned your game when you bought it. If you bought it physically, if you got it digitally, they already got your information. (laughs) (laughs) Your mail list has been done. But yeah, it's it's just a joy. It's just a complete joy. Okay, well, let's move on to the next question, Is which is, um, how do you think this affects you as a game developer? Like, your relationship with retro games and, you know, your restoration, like, how does that affect your output or your creative process as a developer? I think it affects me in a, a paramount way. Like, I kind of touched on it before, but the fact of taking breaks, doing something else and admiring things that I've, I used to, that I still do, but more as a child, like really had that escape from and really have penchant memories that when I think back, if I were to just fall asleep, I can smile, you know, if I was to just be happy to know that I'm blessed to be able to kind of do those things in tandem. But the joy of fixing something comes along with the work that I may become trying to overcome challenges with. So that in, that comes in tandem with breaks, right? If you have a problem, most of us try to barrel through and work through the break. God forbid any crunch that happens. But 
if you're taking something away from what your job is, I don't have to make music when I'm right when I'm restoring those games. I can listen to music if I want to. Sometimes I, I don't. Sometimes I'm just in silence and it's just me and just thinking about what it is. But those things manifest its own solutions in its own right because I've separated myself from what I've been focused on. And I found that's personally worked for me in, in my space for the work that I do. The 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 euphoria comes from when I when I have resolved something like f- replacing caps on a Game Gear or restoring a Super Nintendo yellowing by reverse UV lighting and all this other stuff. It's like, wow, I learned something new and I'm I'm kind of one of the few to do it. Not everybody would take their time and spend about four to five hours cleaning some games and you know, digging in, getting those GameStop stickers off and whatnot. And it's just the fact of pride of knowing that I fixed something or I've restored something to its best form where someone else would probably be impressed to say, wow, like that, I rem- this is incredible. I didn't look how great shape it is. It's cool. And like I said, just manifesting those feelings. And I can take those and go off of that high into my work and and utilize that, especially since I'm a music composer, I can really use those emotions to its absolute best form and implement them into my work. So there's a lot of pluses I realized that were happening that I didn't know were happening that now I'm more cognizant of to be able to manifest Well, we've been going for a while, so I think we're going to go to the last question, which is, what is something you want people to know about retro game restoration or hardware or retro games in general? I think that I'd like more people to take an interest if if they could. And a lot of people, they kind of just kind of brush it off or overlook it. And that's okay. I mean, it's not for everybody. But be i think if people went back to the history and they dove a little bit deeper they'd find their passion again and and that right and that's okay if they've moved on too but i still think there's a lot of people who who've who've lost their passion and i think if they if they just dove a little bit deeper and maybe even decided to do some cleaning themselves they might they might find that they like it and find like that's a nice break in its own right and that also might help like preservation for the future and especially with the the video game museums that are starting to come about a little bit more i think there's i think there's two or maybe there's just one and for some reason between seattle and texas but i know there was one for sure in texas but hey it's like there's a whole community out there that is actually really 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 welcoming not toxic at least from my perspective that i've that i've seen and i've been to a couple retro game cons now before the pandemic and met some incredible folks and made some really good friends so if you're you're just kind of looking to check something else out and peruse and dive into you know that world then it's it's there it's there for us Well, uh, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, this this was really great. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Masao. Thank you for having me on. It's been a real joy talking about it. <laughs> okay, take care. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye. <laughs>